The following is a conversation with Joe Rogan that we recorded after my recent appearance on his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Joe has been an inspiration to me and I think to millions of people for just being somebody who puts love out there in the world and being genuinely curious about wild ideas from chimps and psychedelics to quantum mechanics and artificial intelligence. Like many of you, I've been a fan of his podcast for over a decade, and now, somehow, miraculously, am uh, humbled to be able to call him a friend. If you enjoy this thing, subscribe on YouTube, review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, support on Patreon, or connect with me on Twitter, Alex Friedman. Today's sponsors are Neuro, Eight Sleep, Dollar Shave Club, and Olive Garden, home of the Unlimited Breadsticks and Brian Radband's favorite restaurant. Check out the first three of the sponsors in the description to get a discount and to support this podcast. As usual, I'll do a few minutes of ads now and no ads in the middle. I try to make these interesting, but I give you timestamps so you can skip. But still, please do check out the sponsors by clicking the links in the description. This show is sponsored by Neuro, a company that makes functional gum and mints that supercharge your mind with a sugar-free blend of caffeine, L-theanine, and B6, B12 vitamins. It's loved by Olympians and engineers alike. I personally love the mint gum. It helps me focus during times when I can use a boost. My favorite use case is to chew it for like 10 minutes at the start of a deep work session, standing behind a desk, typing frantically, and uh, build up a kind of urgent energy around the task to get the ball rolling, which I think the first few minutes of a deep work session is actually the hardest, most difficult part. By the way, Cal Newport, author of Deep Work, a book I highly recommend, will eventually be on this podcast. I talk to him often, he's a constant inspiration. He has his own podcast too on productivity called Deep Questions that you should definitely check out. Anyway, each piece of Neuro Gum is about one half cup of coffee's worth of caffeine. And you may know that I love caffeine. I also just love coffee and tea. Makes me feel like home somehow. Anyway, Neuro is offering 15% off when you go to getneuro.com and use code LEX at checkout. Once again, that's getneuro.com and use code LEX. This show is also sponsored by 8sleep and it's Pod Pro Mattress. You can check out at 8sleep.com slash LEX to get $200 off. It controls temperature with an app and it's packed with sensors and can cool down to as low as 55 degrees on each side of the bed separately. Anecdotally, it's been a game changer for me. I'm generally the kind of person that's not about material possessions. I don't have many fancy things in my life. So this bed has been a kind of exciting addition into the mix. There's something about the uh, combination of a cool bed surface with a warm blanket after a long day of focused work that is just something I look forward to. Sleep in general for me lately, I don't know if it's related to the bed or not, has been full of dreams. So I've been uh, exploring the universe, not constrained by the physics of reality quite a bit. Maybe it's the bed. You should try it out and see. I should mention that they can track a bunch of metrics like heart rate variability, but cooling alone honestly is worth the money. Anyway, go to asleep.com slash Lex to get $200 off and to support this podcast. 
This show is also sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. Try them out with a one-time offer for only $5 and free shipping at dollarshaveclub.com slash lex. The starter kit comes with a six-blade razor, refills, and all kinds of other stuff that makes shaving feel great. I've been a member of Dollar Shave Club for over five years and actually signed up when I first heard about them on the Joe Rogan Experience. And now we've come full circle, friends. I'm interviewing Joe on this podcast and monetizing it by doing a read for Dollar Shave Club. It feels kind of surreal, to be honest, to be doing a read for them, just like Joe did all those years ago. For the past few years, I just used the razor and the refills, but they encouraged me to try the shave butter, which I did, and I love it. Again, try the Ultimate Shave Starter Set today for just five bucks plus free shipping at dollarshaveclub.com slash lex. And now, here's my conversation with Joe Rogan. Do you ponder your mortality? Are you afraid of death? I, I do think about it sometimes. I mean, it does pop into my head sometimes. Just the fact that, uh, I mean, I'm 53. So if everything goes great, I have less than 50 years left. You know, if everything goes great, like no car accidents, no injuries. But it yeah. could happen today. This could be your last day. I'm could sorry. be. That's kind of a stoic thing to meditate on death. There's a, there's a bunch of philosophers, Ernest Becker and uh, Sheldon Solomon. They believe that death is the at the core of everything. Wrote this book, Warm at the Core. So does that come into play in the way you see the world? I think having a sense of urgency is very beneficial. And understanding that your time is limited can aid you greatly. I think uh, knowing that this is a temporary time, that we, we have finite life spans, I, I think there's a there's great power in that because it it motivates you, it gets you going. I think being an immortal, living forever, would be one of the most depressing things, particularly if everybody else was dying around you. And I think one of the things that makes life so interesting and fascinating is that it doesn't last. You know that you you really get a brief amount of time here, and really by the time you're just starting to kind of figure yourself out and who you are and how not to screw things up so bad? It's like time's up. The ride's over. <laughs> what about from your like, from your daughter's perspective? Do you, do you uh, think about the world we're in now, and what kind of world you're going to leave them? I do. And do you worry about it? I or do. Yeah, I do. I do. When I see these uh, protests and riots and chaos and so much. <sighs> so much uh, anger in the world today. And then particularly today, I think because of the the pandemic and the fact that uh, so many folks are out of work and through no fault of their own and can't make ends meet and just people feel so helpless and angry, it's uh, a particularly divisive time. It's a particularly turmoil-filled time. And uh, it just doesn't seem like the world uh, of a year ago even – it feels very chaotic and dangerous, and this and it's a small thing, like in terms of the like the possibilities of things that could happen to the world, like a pandemic, like the one we've experienced. It really just doubles the amount of deaths on a bad flu year. So, it relatively speaking is a small thing in comparison to 
super volcano eruptions, asteroid impact, uh, a real horrific pandemic, or, or one that you know really wipes out millions and millions of people. It's um, it's stunning how fragile civility is. It's stunning how fragile our uh, our our society really is. That something like this can come along, some unprecedented thing, unprecedented thing can come along and all of a sudden everybody's out of work for six months and then everybody's at each other's throats and then politically everyone's at each other's throats. And and then with the advent of social media and uh, the images that you can see, you know, with videos of uh, police abuse and just racial tensions are at an all-time high to a point where like if you asked me just five or six years ago like uh, are have racial problems in this country largely been alleviated i'd probably say yeah it's way better than it's ever been before but now you could argue that it's not now you could argue it's no it's way worse and in, in just a small amount of time it's way worse than it's ever been during my lifetime while my while i'm aware of it you know obviously when i was a a young boy in the 60s they were still going through the civil rights movement but now uh it just seems very fever pitched and i think a lot of that is because of the pandemic and is because of all the the heightened uh just tension the way what i liken it to is um pete road rage because you know people have road rage not just because they're in the car and no one can get to them but also because you're at a heightened state because you're driving fast and you know you're driving fast. You know you have to make split-second movements. And so anybody doing something, you're like, what the f-? People go crazy because they're they're already at an eight because they're in the car and they're moving very quickly. That's what it feels like with today, with the pandemic. It feels like everybody is already at an eight. So anything that comes along, it's like, light it all on fire. You know, burn it down. Like, that's part of what I think is part of the reason for a lot of the looting and the riots and all the chaos it's not just the people out of work, but it's also that everyone feels so tense already and everyone feels so helpless. And it's like, you know, doing something like that makes people, uh, it just, it gives people a, a, a whole new motivation for chaos, a whole new motivation for for doing destructive things that I'm, I've never experienced in my life. And your better days... When you see a positive future, what what do you think is the way out of this uh, chaos of 2020? Like if you visualize a 2025, that's a better world than today. What is that? How do we get there? And what does that look like? It's a good question. I do, I I can honestly say I don't know, and uh, I wouldn't have said I don't know a year ago. A year ago, I would have said we're going to be okay. As much as people hate Trump, the economy is doing great. I think we're going to be fine. That's not how I feel today. Today, uh, I don't think there's a, a clear solution politically because I think if Trump wins, people are going to be furious. And I think if Biden wins, people are going to be furious. Um, particularly like if things get more woke, you know, if people uh, continue to enforce this uh, force compliance and, and make people behave a certain way and act a certain way, which seems to be a part of what this whole woke thing is that is the most disturbing for me is that I, I see what's going on. I see there's a lot of losers that have hopped on this and they, they shove it in people's faces and it doesn't have to make sense. Like there was a black lives matter protest that stopped this woman at a restaurant 
they were surrounding her outside a restaurant. They were forcing her to raise her fist in compliance. This is a woman who's marched for Black Lives multiple times, Black Lives Matter multiple times, and the people all around her doing this were all white. Yeah, it's all it's all weird. My friend Coach T, he's a, a wrestling coach, is also uh, on a podcast. My friend Brian Moses, his take on it is that black and he's a black guy. He says Black Lives Matter is a white cult. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, when you see that picture, it's hard to argue that he's got a point. I mean, it's clearly not all about that, but there's a lot of people that have jumped on board that are very much like cult members. Because the thing about Black Lives Matter or any movement is you can't control who joins. There's no entrance uh, examination, so you don't go, okay. How do you feel about this? What's your perceptions on that? Like, what? How? You like the the man who shot the Trump supporter in Portland? You know that guy who uh, murdered the Trump supporter, and the yeah. cop shot him. That guy was walking around with his hand on his gun, looking for Trump supporters. Yeah. Just want. I mean, he's a, a known violent guy who was walking around looking for Trump supporters. Found one and shot one. That has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. He's a white guy. He shot another white guy. It's just, it's just madness, you know. And that that kind of madness is, uh, it's disturbing to see it ramp up so quickly. I mean, there's been there's been riots in Portland every night. Oh, excuse me, demonstrations for 101 days now. 101 days in a row of them lighting things on fire, breaking into federal buildings. It's like, who ever saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. So, I don't know what the solution is and i don't know what it looks like in five years so 2025 to answer your question like it could be anything i mean we, we could be looking at mad max we could be looking at the, the apocalypse we could we could also be looking at an invasion from another country we could be looking at a war like a real hot war to put a little bit of responsibility on you like for me i've listened to you since the red band olive garden days that's the very beginning and uh, there was something in the way you communicate about the world, maybe there was others, but you're the one I was aware of, is you're open-minded and uh, like loving towards the world, especially as the podcast developed. Like you just demonstrated and lived this kind of just kindness or maybe even like lack of jealousy in your own little profession of comedy. It's, it was clear that you didn't, you, you didn't succumb to the weaker aspects of human nature and thereby inspire like people like me, who I was, I was naturally, pr probably especially in like the 20s, uh, early 20s, kind of jealous of the success of others. And you're really the primary person that taught me to um, truly celebrate the success of others. And so by way of question, you kind of have a role in this of making a better 2025. You have such a big megaphone. Is there something you think you can do on this podcast with the words, the way you talk, the the things you discuss that could create a better 2025? I think if anything, I could help in leading by example, but that, you know that's only gonna help the people that are listening. I don't know uh, what else I can do in terms of like make the world a better place other than express my hopes and wishes for that and just try to be as nice as I can to people yeah. as, as often as I can. But I also think that I've fallen into this weird category, particularly with the Spotify deal where, um, you know, I'm one of them now. I'm not a regular person anymore. Now I'm like some famous rich guy. Yeah. So you go from being a regular person to a famous rich guy that's out of touch. 
you know, and uh, that that's a real issue whenever you're talking about the economy, about just real life problems. It's it's interesting. It kind of hurts my heart to hear people say about Elon Musk. He's just a billionaire. Yeah, it's an interesting statement. But I think if you just continue being you and he continue being him, people, people, I think people are just voicing their worry that you become some rich guy. I don't even know if they're doing that. I think they're just finding the way he describes it an attack vector. Right. Yeah. And I think he's right. I think they just, uh, they can dismiss you by just saying, oh, you're, you're just a that. You know, you're a, you know, you're easily, um, uh, definable. Right. But there, I mean, there's truth to that. You, if you're not careful, you can become out of touch, but you, that, that's an interesting thing. Like how, why haven't you become out of touch? Like as a human off the podcast, you, you don't act like a, like you, you talk to somebody like me, you don't talk like a famous person or you, you don't, you don't act rich. <laughs> Like you're better than others. There's a certain, listen, I've talked to quite a few, you have too, but I've talked to especially kind of group of people that are like Nobel Prize winners, let's mm-hmm. say. They have sometimes have an air to them that's arrogance, yeah. of arrogance. Yeah. And you don't, what, what's that about? Well, you gotta know what that is, right? Like um, that air of arrogance comes from uh, drinking your own Kool-Aid. You you start believing that somehow or another, just because you're getting praise from all these people, that you really are something different. Usually, it, it, it exemplifies there's there's something there. There's where there's a lack of struggle, you know. And I think uh, struggle is probably one of the most important balancing tools that a person can have. And for me. Um, I struggle mentally and I struggle physically. I struggle mentally in that I like we were talking about on the podcast we did previously, you and I on my podcast that I'm not a fan of my work. I'm not a fan of what I do. I'm, a, I'm my harshest critic. Yeah. So anytime anybody says something bad about me, I'm like, listen, I said way worse about myself. I, uh, you know, I don't like anything I do. I'm ruthlessly introspective. And I will continue to be that way because that's the only way you can be good as a comedian. There's no other way. You can't just think you're awesome and just go out there. You have to, you have to be like picking apart everything you do. But there's a balance to that too because you have to have enough confidence to go out there and perform. I do it, yeah. You can't think, oh my God, I suck. I, I know what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing because I put in all that work. And one of the reasons why I put in all that work is I don't like the, I don't like the end result most of the time. So I need to work at it all the time. And then there's physical struggle, which I think balances everything out. Without physical struggle, I, I've, I always make the analogy that the body is in a lot of ways like a battery, where if you have extra charge, it's like it leaks out of the top and it be- becomes unmanageable and messy. And that's how my psyche is. If if I if I have too much energy, if I'm not if I'm not exerting myself in a violent way, like an explosive way, like wearing myself out. I just don't like the way the world is. I don't like the way I interface with the world. I'm too tense. I'm 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 too quick to be upset about things. I'm too but when I work out hard and I, you know I put in a, a brutal training session, everything's fine. Well the first time I talked to you on Jerry, uh you were doing Octo um uh, Sober October. Sober October. And there's something in your eyes. 
like I think you've talked about that you you know you exercise the demons out essentially. So you exercise to get whatever the parts of you that you don't like out. Uh, there is a dark, <laughs> there's a darkness in you there, like the <laughs> the competitiveness and the focus of that person. That was a scary time in a lot of ways, that sober October thing. Because uh, my friends, we were all talking shit, right? Because we we're competing against each other in these fitness challenges. And you had uh, one point per, like you got a certain amount of points per each minute that you went at 80% of your max heart rate. And one day I got 1,100 points. So I did seven hours on an elliptical machine watching the bathhouse scene from John Wick where he murders all those people in the bathhouse. I watched it probably 50 times in a row. <laughs> I went crazy. <laughs> I went crazy, but I went yeah. crazy in a, a weird way where it, it brought me back to my um, my fighting days. It was like the same, that person came out again. It was like, well, I didn't even know he was in there. It's like they're like, like, like an assassin, like a killer. Like I felt, I felt like, I felt like a, a like a different person. Is it echoes of like what Mike Tyson talked about? Essentially, like the maybe, but no orgasm, the, no emotions, <laughs> <laughs> all the crazy shit that he was but saying. But is, is there oh is there God. that is there a violent person in there? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of violence in me for sure. I don't know if it's genetic or learned, or it's because during my formative years, from the time I was 15 till I was 22, all I did was fight. That was all I did. That was all I did. All I did was train and compete. That's all I did. That was my whole life. Is it connected to, uh, so you, uh, your mom and dad broke up early on. Is it connected to the dad at all? I, I'm sure it's connected to him also because he was violent and it made me feel very scared to be around him. But I also think um, it's connected in who he was as a human is transferred into my DNA. You know, I think there's a certain amount of, I mean, it, I mean, to be prejudiced against myself, I look like a violent person. You know, if I didn't know me, I'm just even the way I'm built, and not even just the working out part, just the size of my hands and like there's the width of my shoulders. Like there's uh, most likely a lot of violence in my history, in my past, in my ancestry. And I think, um, I, I think we minimize that with people. Like so much of your behavior. Like I, when I see my daughter, I have a, a one daughter that's obsessive in terms of like she wants to get really good at things. Like could she and she'll practice things all day long, and and it's one hundred percent my personality. Like she's me in female form, yeah. but without the anger as much and without the um, fear. Like she has you know loving household and everything like that, but she has this intense obsession yeah. with doing things and doing things really well and getting better uh, to the point we have to tell her stop like stop doing handsprings in the house stop stop come on just sit down have dinner like one more one more like she's just like yeah. she's like she's psycho yeah um and i think there's a lot of behavior and personality and a lot of these things are passed down through genetics we don't really know Right, we don't know how much of who you are genetically is be learned behavior, you know, nature or nurture. We don't know if it's learned behavior or whether or not it's something that's intrinsically a part of you because of you know who your parents were. I think there's there's certainly some genetic violence in me. There's and then you channeled it. So yeah, you figured out it. is basically your life 
is a productive exploration of how to channel that. Yes. Try how to figure out how to get get that monkey to sit down and calm down. There's another person in there. Like yeah. there's a there's a calm, rational, kind, friendly person who just wants to laugh and have fun. <clears throat> and then there's that dude who comes out when I did Sober October. That yeah. guy's scary. I don't like that guy. Yeah. That guy just wants to get up in the morning and go. You know, it's like it's um I mean, when I was competing, it was necessary, <clears throat> but it makes me re- remember. I didn't really remember what a, what I used to be like until that. It's like when I'm working out seven hours a day yeah. and just so obsessed, and and all I was thinking about was winning. That's all I was thinking about. Like if they were if they were working out five hours a day, I wanted I wanted them to know that I was going to work out an extra three hours, and I was going to get up early, and I was going to text them all, "Hey pussies, yeah. I'm up already. Take pictures, <laughs> send selfies." <laughs> you know, I was like, "You're gonna die." Oh, I kept telling them, "You're all gonna die." Yeah. You try to keep up with me, you're gonna die. You weren't fully joking. No, I wasn't joking at I mean, all. I, That's it, what was fucked up about it. It's the scary <laughs> thing when I interacted with Goggins and what I saw in you on, on during that time is like this guy, like like this is why I've been avoiding David Goggins recently. <laughs> <laughs> is like because he wants to meet, he wants to do like talk on this podcast, but he also wants to run an ultra marathon with me. Mm. And I felt like this is a person. If I spend any time in this realm, if I spend any time with the Joe Rogan of that sober October, like I might have to die to get out. Like there's this kind of- uh, Yeah, there's a competitive aspect that's super unhealthy. I mean, you saw the video that we watched earlier today of Goggins draining his knee. That would stop me from running ever again because I would think in my head, okay, I'm gonna ruin my cartilage. I'm gonna need a knee replacement. I would start thinking, I would go down that line, but he is perpetually in this push it mindset. You know, what he calls the dog in him. You know, he's got, that dog is in him all day long and he feeds that dog, you know? And that's, um, that's who he is. That's one of the reasons why he's so inspirational and he's fuel for millions and millions of people. I mean, he really is. He motivates people in a way that is so powerful, but it can be very destructive. I just, I know, I know now, especially after the Sober October thing, that that thing's still in me. You know, I didn't know. So I really haven't done anything physically competitive. Except one time I was supposed to fight Wesley Snipes. It came out <laughs> yeah. then too. That came out too. That, that got creepy too. But luckily that never happened. But that was many months of training, like training twice a day, every day, kickboxing in the morning, jujitsu at night. I was just going and going and going and going. And I was just thinking just all day long. And it, but, it, but it fucks with all the other aspects yeah. of your life. Fucks with your friendships, fucks with your your it fucks with my comedy, fucks with everything. Because that mindset is not a mindset of an artist. It's a mindset of a conqueror. The conqueror, so, yeah. yeah. Destroyer. That's why it's so interesting to see Mike Tyson make the switch. <sighs> it's clear that like whatever that is, however that fight goes, he made a there's a switch of a different he stepped into a different dimension. Roy that, Jones Jr. is coming on my podcast soon. And uh, you know, Roy's gonna be on uh before the fight. I'm I'm, I'm so curious to see how it goes down, but genuinely concerned because Mike Tyson is a heavyweight and Roy Jones at his best was 168 pounds. 
And um, that's- and I don't know if Roy has that room in his house, mental house of where Mike Tyson goes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he has that room. Mike, Mike doesn't have a room. He's He's got an empire in there. With, he opens the up the door. <laughs> he opens up the door. There's, there's a whole empire in his head and he's he's in that firmly. You know, when he got out of the weed and and started training again, like you could see it in him. And by the way, physically in in person, he looks spectacular. He looks like a fucking Adonis. I mean, he looks ready to go. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I watch videos of him. What about you? Uh, have you ever considered competing in jiu-jitsu? No, for that very reason. I don't want to get obsessed. That's my my number one concern. I had to quit video games. Yeah. When we were playing video games at the studio, I had to quit. Because I was playing five hours a day, like out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I was playing five hours a day. I was coming home late for dinner. Oh. I was ending podcasts early and jumping on the video games and playing. I get obsessed with things, and I have to recognize what that is. And these competitive things, like competitive, especially like really exciting competitive things like video games, they're very dangerous for me. The ultimate competitive video game is like jujitsu. And um, if I was young, I most certainly would have done it. If I didn't have like a very clear career path, it was something that I enjoyed. My concern would be that I would become a professional jujitsu right. fighter when I was young. And then I would not have the energy to do stand-up and do all the other things that I wound up doing as a career. When I was um, 21, I quit my job teaching. I was teaching at Boston University. I was teaching Taekwondo there. And I, I knew, and I also had my own school in Revere. I knew I couldn't do it right and also be doing stand-up comedy. I knew I couldn't do both of those things. There yeah, was no have, way. You have to be cognizant of... Uh that obsessive force within you to make sure. Uh, yes, I, I have to know how to manage my mental illness. Right, that's that's a very particular mental illness, and I think that mental illness again, my formative years from fifteen till I was you know twenty one ish, twenty two, those those years were spent constantly obsessed with martial arts. That was my whole day. I mean, I trained almost every day. The only time I would not train is if I was either injured or uh, if I was exhausted, if I needed a day off, but I was obsessed. And so that part of my personality that I haven't nurtured is always going to be there under the surface. And when you, it gets reignited by something, it's very weird. It's a weird feeling. And it can get reignited with a video game. It can get reignited with anything, that that obsessive that you know whatever it is that competitive demon yeah the way you talk about guitar i know you would love fall in love with playing guitar but i think you're very wise to not touch that thing that's why i want golf i have friends who want to golf <laughs> i'm like mm -mm, i ain't fucking with that thing so a lot of people ask me about uh like what's uh joe rogan's jiu-jitsu game like 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 assuming that I, I somehow spend uh, hours rolling with you before and after we interact. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's a good, uh, we, we should at some point show a technique or something. That'd be fun. Sure. But I mean, I've got, what's your game? Like? What's your, game? Oh, there, there, I saw, I saw you doing a, I think had an arm, uh, something online. Yeah, I did. That was, I fucked my neck up doing head and arm chokes. I did them so much that I, I, you know, because you use your neck so much with head and arm chokes, yeah. I developed like a real kink in my neck and, uh, it turned out I had a bulging disc oh. and, uh, you know. So you do it on that just one side? On well, it was, uh, no, I could do it on the left side, but I definitely am better on the right side. The right side was my best what, side. So if you were to compete, let's say, like, what's your A game? Where would you go from standing up? How would you go to submission? Would you pull guard? Would you take down? 
Well, how would you pa- pass guard? What's I don't have good takedowns. I, mean, I was not a good wrestler. So I would most likely either pull guard or I would pull half guard. Do you have a good guard? Yes. Are, are you comfortable guard. being on your, yes. on your butt on your back? Yes. I have very, I'm very flexible. So I have a good, my rubber guard is pretty You go to rubber good. guard. Yeah. yeah. I have good arm bars and good triangles off my back. But um, I also have a very good half guard, but my top game is my best. I have I have a very strong top game. Do you have a pressure. half guard? Do you have Do you have a preference of like what kind of guard and how to pass that guard and uh, like yeah, like is there a specific game plan? Like you do you double underhooks from half guard is the game plan for me. If I can get double underhooks from half guard, I could sweep a lot of people. Uh, underhooks of what? Sorry, the arms or the so legs? half guard lockdown right? Lockdown, half guard go into lockdown. Double underhooks. Got it. Clinch to the body. Suck the body into tight. Just pressure. And, yeah, massive pressure. And then inch my way into a position. We call the dog fight. And yeah. inch my way into a position where I could uh, get the person on their back. Yeah, that's what, because you did show me, I still disagree with you about the tie thing. Um, the that you can choke oh, somebody with a tie. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not wrong with you. With you, it's wrong because you. you no, I think there's a system. I, I, I've, I've, I have this thing with Donna here. We're gonna figure it out. Okay, but the just have a little Velcro in the back. No, so, but see, um, that's you're just not you're the cheating. Game. You're not. The, you're, yeah, exactly. That's cheating. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. I, I did feel when you showed me. Uh, I think you showed me the rubber guard because it's still a guard yeah. that's a little bit yeah. foreign to me. I just felt. That you can immediately feel not with the rubber guard, just but the way you move your body is, you're um, uh, like a Shanji type of guy who knows how to control another human being. So like some people are a little bit more, I would say, agile and technical, like uh, playful and kind of loose, m- uh, loose and tra- yeah. uh, they work on transition, transition, transition. You're a control guy, like you know how to control position and advance position. Donahar is the same way; he's all about control. My my game is smush. smush. That's my game. Smush you, grab a hold of you. Once I have you, why would I let you go? Right. That's my thought. Is like, why would I let you go? I just want to incrementally move to a better position until I can strangle you. <laughs> but I'm much more into strangling people than anything else. Yeah, which is a great MMA uh, yeah uh, approach for uh, jujitsu. Well. Too many people don't tap when you get their arms, you know. And I'm, it's not I'm not opposed to arm bars. I love arm bars, but everybody goes to sleep. Yep. And and quit from pressure too. I mean, yeah. Quit mentally. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing like you can't that. breathe. You know, if you got a guy who's like a really good top game guy, and he mounts you, and I'm a big fan of mounting with my legs crossed. Mm-hmm. You know, like a guard, like a top guard. And so I, I can squeeze with both legs, smush, and I'm just I'm just looking for people to make mistakes and slowly, incrementally bettering my position until I can get something locked up. Yeah. I love jujitsu though, man. I just wish it didn't injure you. Yeah, you know, jujitsu is like if your joints were more durable, they could figure out a way to make joints more durable. God, I could do jujitsu forever. Yeah, so much fun. I actually I talked to this uh, roboticist Russ Tedrick. He builds. Uh, he's one of the world class people that builds humanoid robots. You were interested in Boston Dynamics. He's yeah. one of the key people in that kind of robotics. So I asked him the stupidest question of like, how far are we we, we from uh, having a robot be a UFC champion? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's actually a really really tough problem. It's it's, it's the same thing that you know makes somebody like Danielle Cormier like on the wrestling side special because you have to understand the movement of the human body in ways that's so difficult to teach 
It's so, it's so subtle. The timing, the pressure points, the, like the leverage, all those kinds of things. That's just for the clinch situation. And then the movement for the striking is very difficult. As long as you're not allowed as a robot to like use your natural abilities of having a lot more power. Right, a lot more power and then more durable. Right. The, the human jars. body, like especially meniscus, like like you see the, the heel hook game, like everybody's involved yeah. in leg locks and heel hooks, like all those guys wind up with torched knees. Everyone's got torched knees. Everyone's knees are torn apart. You, and you don't grow new meniscus. You know, that's like one of those joints where, man, when it goes, it's it goes. like, and you know, those guys are 28 years old who have yeah. blown out knees. Let me ask the ridiculous question. What do you think? Okay. We're talking about cops. But what do you think uh, is the best martial arts for self-defense? For sure, jujitsu. Yeah, for sure. Wrestling? I, I think grappling, I should say. What judo as well, I mean, especially in a cold climate. If you get someone who's got like a heavy winter jacket on, my God, like judo is an incredible yeah. Plus concrete. That's the worst place to be with a heavy winter jacket with a judo specialist and you're standing up with them. Oh, my God. Um, but I think um, grappling, because in most self-defense situations, it usually winds up with grappling. You're definitely better off, though, knowing some striking, because there's nothing more terrifying than when you go to take someone down. They actually have takedown skills, but they can fight. And so they have takedown defense, and they know how to fight, and then you don't know how to stand up. Like The, the worst thing in the world is seeing someone like reaching who doesn't know how to do striking, and someone cracks you. What about think, all that Krav Maga talk, which is like, you know, the whole line of argument that says that jiu-jitsu and wrestling and all of these sports, they fundamentally take you away from the nature of violence. So they're just teaching you how to play versus the reality of of um, violence that is involved in like a self-defense situation that is, is a, a totally different set of skills would be needed. In general, the people that say that jiu-jitsu or other martial arts don't, they, it's more of a sport, and they don't really understand and they don't really understand violence. In general, the people that say that suck. <laughs> yeah, that's anybody who thinks like someone's like you know, hey man, I'll just bite you. I'm like, are you gonna bite me? Okay. Do you think I'm gonna bite you too? What do you think of that? What if I punch you in your fucking face? You think you're still gonna bite me yeah. when you can't even see? Yeah. When you you're, you you barely even know you're alive, and I choke you unconscious. If someone's really good at jujitsu, good luck stabbing them with your keys. You know you you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. If someone's much better at you and they trip you and get you on your back and then they fucking elbow you in your face and then get a head and arm choke on you, all that crap maga shit's out the window, son. You you're way better off learning what works on trained killers like this whole idea that you're going to poke someone in the eye and then you're going to kick them in the nuts and the, like you're you're going through these drills that yeah it's good to know what to do if you run into someone who doesn't know how to fight it's way better to know what to do to someone who knows how to fight that's the best thing learn how to fight against people who know how to fight like all that practice self-defense and they're gonna, it's gonna come at you with a knife you're gonna grab the wrist and do that like it's good to know self-defense but it's much more important to understand martial arts comprehensively when you understand martial arts comprehensively like there's no crop i shouldn't say there's no krav maga guys but it's it would be shocking if a krav maga guy and a mixed martial arts guy had a fight and the mixed martial arts guy who's a, a trained killer all around didn't fuck that guy up. That's that's what I would expect would happen. 
I would, I would, I would not think that some guy who has a little bit of this and a little bit of that and prepares for the streets is going to be able to handle a person who trains with killers on a day to day basis, who rolls with jujitsu black belts, who trains with Muay Thai champions. Like, you're, it's the best martial arts are the martial arts that work on martial artists, not the martial arts that work on untrained people. What about we're in Texas now? What about guns? Well, so, that's the best martial art. No, but would you, <laughs> like, uh, in this crazy time, should people carry guns? It's not a bad idea to have a gun because if you need a gun, you have a gun. And if you don't need a gun, if you're a person with self-control, you're not going to use it. You're not going to just randomly use it, but you have something to protect you. This is the whole idea of the Second Amendment. The whole idea of the Second Amendment gets distorted by mass shootings or by terrible people who murder people and do terrible things, but it's... That all those things are real, but they don't take away from the fundamental efficacy of having a firearm and defending your family or defending your life. And there are real live situations where people have had firearms and it's protected them or their loved ones or they've stopped shooters. They've, th there's many of these stories, but people don't like those stories because then it, it t tends to lead to this gun culture argument, this pro-gun culture argument that people find very uncomfortable. It's, it's, human beings are messy. And we're messy in so many different ways, right? We're messy uh, emotionally, we're messy, messy physically, but we're also messy in what's good or bad. What's We want things to be binary. We want things to be right or wrong, you know, one or zero. And they're not, but, but there is crime in the world. There is violence in the world. And you're better off knowing how to fight and you're betting, better off knowing how to defend yourself and you're better off having a gun. I mean, I, I generally think that guns, I do like... The idea that guns, uh, Second Amendment helps protect the First Amendment. There's a kind of sense that makes puts me at ease knowing that so many people in this country have guns. That uh, I mean, Alex Jones. I just listened to one episode of Infowars for the first time. <laughs> Boy, is he he reminds me like when I drank some tequila, I felt like I'm going to some dark places today. That's how I feel like listening to him. But he, uh, he talks about like that it's he worries about martial law. So basically government overreach by, which happened throughout history. Like yeah. there's there's something to worry about there, but it's it puts me at ease knowing that so much of the population has guns that people, government would think twice before uh, instituting martial law in cities. But I actually was asking almost like on the individual level, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I don't yet own a gun and I felt that if I carry a gun, statistically, just for me as a human, knowing my psychology, I feel like I'm more likely to die. Like, I feel like I would put myself in situations that I shouldn't. Like, the way I, I will see the world will change. Because really? my natural feeling is, like, when somebody, when I was in Philly, and I knew late at night, if West Philly, when some guy looks at you, and you can immediately calculate that this is a dangerous human being. There, It starts with a monkey look at first, like I'm a bigger monkey than you. And that's where I found like, for example, I'll do the beta thing of just looking down and turning away and, and just getting out of trouble, like very politely. And basically that kind of approach, because if you have, a, in terms of getting out of serious violent situations, like serious something where you could die versus if I had a gun, I feel like I would want to be 
that that would be that cowboy monkey thing where I would want to put myself in situations mm. where I'm a little bit of a savior, even of myself, and almost create danger which can no longer, can, like the escalation of which I can no longer control. Well, you're talking about taking a gun somewhere versus having a gun in your home. Yes, yes. I mean, carry yeah. on me. That's a different situation and much harder uh, to get a warrant for or a license for that. You know, control uh, concealed carry licenses, especially in Massachusetts. They don't come easy. Well, Massachusetts, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah but you're saying thing. gun in the home. Yeah, Makes gun sense. in the home. Having a gun, having, knowing how to use a gun. Like, I know how to use a gun. I've trained, you know, many hours learning how to shoot a gun at, at tactical places. You know, there's a bunch of videos of me doing it on uh, yeah, Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> I I practice, and I think it's good to to understand how to be accurate. So I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time. You don't often talk about it because you're always kind of looking forward. But if you look at the old studio, they just left. Is there some epic memories that stand out to you that you like? You almost look back. I can't believe this happened. Oh yeah, almost too many of them to count. Is there something yeah. that pops into mind now? All of them. Elon Musk blowing that flamethrower in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> I got a video of that. Have you seen the video of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he posted on Instagram. I think I did too. Yeah, he's a madman. Um, having Bernie Sanders in there, uh, you know, just uh, all the fun fight companions we did and all the crazy podcasts with Joey Diaz and Duncan Trussell. And the, there were so many. There were so many moments, you know. It's... um. Podcasts is this is a weird art form, and it almost seems like it sounds silly, but it almost seems like something that chose me rather than I chose it. I think of that all the time in some strange way. It's like I'm 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 showing up as like a, an antenna, and I just plug in and twist twist on, and then I I take in the thing and I put it together, and I I'm a, like a passenger of this weird ride. Yeah, I th you you've talked about this before. I really like this idea of that human beings are just carriers of these ideas. Yeah. Like ideas are the ones who are breeding. Yeah. So in a sense, like the idea found you as a useful brain to use to spread itself through the podcasting medium. Yeah. Like something that, that's a, on the, but because when I think about your podcast, I think about Joey Diaz. I think about all those comedians you've had. I mean, I think you've had Joey on, I mean, maybe close to, I don't know, 50 times, 60, sure, some, some crazy number. Is there... I mean, he is over the top offensive, just that's who he is to the core. Is there some sense where you you wondered like whether it's right to have the Spotify episode number one with Duncan Dressel <laughs> for five hours? No, well, no I wanted to do it that way. That's why we wore NASA suits and we got high as fuck. It's like, that's the whole idea behind it. I mean, can you introspect that a little bit? Like, can you think, like, what is that? Because that's rare. It's it's such a rare thing to do because they're, they're, you're not supposed to talk to Duncan Trussell with a huge platform that you have five hours. Why not? <laughs> because Donald Trump apparently watches your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just the idea that there's these, I mean, that's what I think about, you know, these CEOs write to me that they listen to the podcast that 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 I do. And I have somebody like a David Fravor. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous about it. I was nervous to have a conversation. For me, David Fravor is a Duncan Trussell, 
which is like just because of his uh, experiences with uh, UFOs. Yeah. yeah, just even just the way he sees the world because he is open. I don't know if he's always like this, but he opened himself to the possibility of unconventional ideas. Mm-hmm. Most people in the scientific community kind of say, "Well, I don't really want to believe anything that doesn't have a lot of hard evidence." Right. And so that was to me like a step. And as the thing somehow uh, becomes more popular, there becomes this fear of like, well, should I talk to this person or not? And I mean, you're an inspiration in saying like, do whatever the hell you want. You have to. Well, first of all, I have what you call fuck you money. And if you have fuck you money, you don't say fuck you. What's the point of having the fuck you money? You're wasting it. Like you're wasting the position. Like someone said to me, like, uh, why do you why do you like sports cars so much? Like, how many cars do you have? A bunch of cars. Because like, if I was a kid, and I said, hey, if I was that crazy rich famous guy, like, I would want to have a bunch of cool fucking cars. Like, so I so I would do that. Like, because th- not everybody gets to do that. Like, if you're the person that gets to do that, you're kind of supposed to do it. Like, that's if you if you want to. If that really does speak to you, and you know. Um, we've t- I've talked to you about this before, but muscle cars, spe- specifically ones from the 1960s and the early 70s, they speak to me in some weird way, man. I could just stare at them. Like, I have a 65 Corvette. I walk around it sometimes at night when no one's around. I just what's stare at it. What's your favorite muscle car? Like, what's your most badass late 60s, the perfect Probably car? that car. Probably that 65, 65 Corvette. Corvette. Yeah, I, I walk around it when no one's around. I think I've driven the 69 Corvette. Is there a particular year that uh, just... 65 is uh, generation two. 69 is generation three. 69 is like the... It's even more curvy. They're both awesome. Just awesome in different ways. But uh, I just love muscle cars for whatever reason. But but the point is like, I like what I like. And if I can do what I want to do, I should do what I want to do. And it's not hurting anybody. And the thing is, like, I would do the Duncan podcast if no one was listening, right? right. If it was, if we were just starting to do a podcast together and uh, no one cared and it got, like, 2,000 views, which we did for yeah, years. For a long time, yeah. I would do it with Duncan. And we would get high and we'd talk crazy shit about aliens and spaceships. And maybe, dude, maybe ideas are living life forms and they're inside your head. And that's how things get made. Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, I've been just kind of morphed me and him together in that because the, the life form idea life form idea is mine that i've i've really i really think about a lot i think about on a technical side by the way like yeah. I, I when i heard you say that because i've been thinking i was like whoa that's interesting that it might too- be they might be alive because they i don't know what the fuck they are but when someone has an idea for uh you know whatever an invention a toaster and then they think about this all it need is like these heating elements and a spring and then it pops on it's done so i have a timer and then they build this thing now all of a sudden it's alive it's like you manifested it in a physical form toaster is not the best example but a car an airplane you're thinking about a thing like an idea comes into your head and you could say, oh, well, it's just creativity. It's a part of being a person. That's how we invented tools and how, you know, uh, we became better hunters. All those things are true. It's, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's some magic to what I'm saying. But there's also a possibility that we're simplifying something by saying that it's just creativity, that it's just a natural human inclination to invent things. But why? Is it possible that ideas like creativity like we are the only animal other than there's a few species that create things like bees make beehives and but it's very they're very uniform 
you know, uh, some animals use tools, you know, like, uh, you know, chimps will use like sticks to get termites and things like that. But there's something about what we do that's, it makes you wonder because we look at this, just look at this room that we're in. Look at all these electronics. Look at all this crazy shit that human beings have invented and then built upon others' inventions, improved and innovated. These all came out of ideas. Like the the idea, they it, it germinates in someone's head. It bounces around. They write it down. They share it with others. The other people who have similar ideas or ideas that are complementary, they work together and they 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 change the world. And the new thing in that is the ideas, not the people. It's like we think we found the ideas, but it's more like the ideas. The ideas found us. Find you, yeah. They're, they're literally in the in the air. Yeah. Yeah. They they come to you. I always felt like that with bits. Like when I come up with a bit, that's why um, I'm I'm always telling people about the Stephen Pressfield book, The War of Art, yeah. because he talks about uh, respecting the muse and the idea that your ideas come when you sit down and you do the work, or you sit down like a professional and you you talk to the muse. Like come tell tell me what to do. Like if the muse was a real thing, as if the muse is like a, a some mystical creature that comes and delivers you ideas. Even if that's not real, that's how it works. Yeah, it does work like that. If you do treat it like it's a muse, and you treat it with the respect, and you you treat it like a professional, yeah. the ideas do come to you. I never thought about what he's doing. He's just sitting there waiting for the idea that's trying to breed to find him. Yeah, there's, that's that's a that's a trippy thing. <laughs> if you show up, that's trippy. If you show up and put in the time and focus your energy on that, the the ideas they will arrive. That will arrive. And that's the same with writing comedy. Like there's been many, many times where I'll come home from the comedy store and I just sit down and I start writing and I just, I've got, I got nothing. There's nothing there. I'm just writing. It's all bullshit. It's nothing's good. It's just like, hmm. And then all of a sudden, bam, there's the idea. And you then all of a sudden I can't stop. And then, you know, it's a couple goes. hours later and I'm like, whoa. And then the next night I'm on stage and I'm like, how about that? Yeah. Boom! It yeah. gets this big laugh. I'm like, holy shit. And I know that came out of the discipline to sit down and call the muse. I mean, the cool thing is the ideas have found you to like, oh, I'm going to use this dude. Like, he, yeah. he seems to have a podcast that's popular. I'm going yeah. to breed inside his brain <laughs> yeah. and spread it to others. It's, yeah. it's the same as... And it, or an inventor, you know, I'm going to use this guy who's like desperately seeking some sort of a, a product to bring to market. Some yeah. guy who wants to invent things, is thinking yeah. about inventing things all the time. Like these ideas, they weasel their way into your head. And it seems to me also that your, your, the frequency that your mind operates under has to be correct. Because one of the things about creativity seems to be if you think about yourself a lot, if you're really into yourself or your image or or you're selfish those ideas are not they don't yeah. find you that's yeah, like, funny the it stifles ideas, the creative yeah yeah it's, yes it's, it stifles the opportunity that the idea has for defining yes yeah. which is one of the reasons why joke thieves people that steal jokes are terrible writers there's never like really good writers who are also joke thieves it's just joke thieves and then 
you know, when they have to write on their own, if they get exposed, they become terrible comedians. They, they, they're they a, a shadow of what they were when they were stealing other people's ideas. Because the thing that would make you steal a person's idea is that ego part. The, the, the like the wanting to claim it for yourself, the wanting to be the man I'm gonna, or, or the woman, you know, you want to be the person who gets out there and says it and everybody's going to love me for it. Like you can't think like that and be creative. It requires a humility and it requires a detachment from self in order to create. Like when I'm writing, I'm blank. I'm like, I'm just staring. I'm like, I'm, I'm just the, the part of my mind that's active is not like me. It's like this weird core function part where I'm not, I'm not aware of uh, my personality. I'm not aware. I'm not, I'm not aware of anything. Yeah. I'm just trying to put it together in a way that I know works. Yeah, just being there, being present. That's yeah. the press field is just, I'm a big believer just sitting there, even staring to. at a blank page, you have just to. putting in the time. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes it's an inspiration. Like sometimes I'll be sitting there at dinner and I'll be like, I got, I'll be right, I got, I got an idea. And I'll, my wife's really cool about that. I'm like, I have an idea and I, I, blah, blah, blah. I have to just run out of the room real quick and I write it down on my phone and then I can come back, you know, because those are, those are like little gifts that you get sometimes from the universe out of nowhere. And some people rely only on those gifts, you know, and I've talked to comics about it. They're like, oh, I come up with my best ideas when I don't write. And I'm like, no, I do too. I come up with great ideas when I don't write, but I also write. Like you can do both of those things. They're not mutually exclusive. You mentioned fuck you money. I, I feel like I have fuck you money now. A year ago, I was at zero. I have fuck you money now because probably my standards, my, I, I don't need much in this world, but because also probably because of you, uh, but it's 300 to 400,000 people listen to every episode I do. And That's it, a lot. And that result is weird. It's That's a definite. successful television show on cable. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's all you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. But at this point, that also resulted in a few money in a sense that I don't, um, you know, I don't need anything else in this world. But so by way of asking, I've looked up, you've inspired me for a long time. Do you have advice? You've done this on the podcast side of life. Do you have advice for somebody like, for me and somebody like me going on this journey? Eric Weinstein is going on this journey. Um, is there advice, both small and big, that you have for somebody like me? The advice is to keep doing what feels right to you and do what you're doing. Obviously it's resonating with people. If you're getting that big of an audience and I've listened to your podcast, you're very good at it. So just keep doing it the way you're doing it. Um, don't let anybody else get involved. What about, um, you've connected. I think you met Jamie at the comedy store. I met him at the ice house. At the ice house. Ice house. Well, I think I met him at the comedy store, but then, uh, we talked at the ice house. I mean, what you'd have to ask him. Yeah. Did you think deeply about, cause like, you know, you basically have nobody on your team. And and so it almost feels like a marriage. Where is it were you selective about like a Jamie to somebody to bring into your little circle? Well, Jamie's or, exceptional. He is. He truly he's a he's a special. I mean, he might have grown I don't remember how he was in the early days, maybe you could say, but he he was de he's definitely special. better at it, but he right away he's exceptional. He's uh, got very little ego. Yes. He's he's not a guy who needs a lot of attention. He's not a guy who um overestimates uh anything. 
like in terms of like negative or positive, like his uh, like his his uh, interpretation of whether it's uh, good things that happen to the show or bad things that happen to the show. He just takes it all like flat. Mm. He's chill. He's just cool as fuck, and he's yeah. so smart, <clears throat> and he's so good as an audio engineer and as a, a podcast producer. He's the best. But he's basically one of the only people on your, on this whole team. So, yeah. How do you find? I mean, when you let people in. I mean, I'm sure other people wanted to get involved. Like, why don't you have a co-host? Like, a, you basically kind of, well. Do you, well, here's the problem with the co-host. Like, when you and I are talking, when we're talking, I'm tuned in to you. And I'm waiting to hear what you're saying. And I'm listening and I'm interpreting it. And then I'm calculating whether or not I have anything to say, whether to let you keep talking, whether I maybe have a question that lets you expand further or whether I have a a disagreement or like there's a dance that's going on. Now, when there's another person there chiming in too, it fucks the dance up. It's like dancing. Like if you're doing a, a dance with someone, you know, like if you're slow dancing with someone and then a third person's there stepping on everybody's feet. Sometimes it's fun. Yeah. Sometimes having a third person is fun. Comedy podcast, sometimes it's fun. Um, Debate, fight companions. kind of structured. Yeah, debate structures. But even then it gets difficult because people talk over each other. And also um, I find that without headphones, it's way easier to talk over each other. You make yes. mistakes. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear it the same way. When you have headphones, you, I hear what you hear. It's all one sound. And I the audience hears exactly uh, I, or rather, I hear exactly what the audience hears. Whether it's over here, my my voice is louder than yours because you're over there. And if I don't have headphones on, it doesn't. It's not all yeah. together. On that point, one of the interesting things about your show is uh, you don't almost never have done, and you just generally don't do remote. Like, um, sorry, not remote calls, but you don't go to another person's location, like. I've only done a few, a small handful. And and just like, uh, well, the Sapolsky, he should be, yeah. he should do this. But I actually, I uh, we went back and forth on email. I told him he needs to get your, his ass back in, in, in this in this studio. Uh, he's working on a book. I but, was a fan of his a long time ago because I became obsessed with toxoplasmosis. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, uh, I, I reached out to him a long time ago before he uh, was willing to do it. But then I caught him in downtown LA. He was there for something else. And I just greedily snatched up an hour of his time well he doesn't get i think some of those folks don't get how much magic can happen in this podcast studio like bigger than anything they've ever done in terms of their work not i'm not talking about reach but in terms of the discovery of new ideas there's something magical about conversation like that like somebody as brilliant as him if he gives himself over to the conversation for multiple hours at a time that's another place where you've been an inspiration where i like, you know, I'm getting more and more confidence of telling people like an Elon Musk that like, you know, a lot of CEOs are like, well, he has 30 minutes on his schedule. I'm like, no, three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they're like, so some say no, and then they come back. There's people have started coming back to like, okay, we're starting to get it. They start to get it and you're, a rare beacon of hope in that sense that there's some value in long form. They think that nobody wants to listen for thirty for more than thirty minutes. They think like I have nothing to say. But the reality is, if you just give yourself over to like the three hours, just let it go. Three hours, four hours, whatever it is. There's so much to discover about 
what you didn't even know you think. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have to be confident that you could do it. And uh, in the beginning, I just did it because that's what I wanted to do. And no one was listening. So I, I've always been a curious person. So I've always, I've always been interested in listening to how people think about things and how, and talking to people about their mindset and just and expanding on my own ideas, and just talking shit. And so we would have these podcasts and they would go on forever. And my, <laughs> I, my friend Ari, I, I've, I never let him die and never let this die down. Never let him uh, forget this. He was always like, you have to edit your podcast. I'm telling you right now, you're fucking up. I go, why? He's like, because people are not going to listen to it. I go, they don't have to. Yeah. I go, you listen to part of it. He goes, he goes, just do it. Just, I'm telling you, trust me, cut it down to like 45 minutes. That's all you need. And I'm like, no, no, I don't think you're right. I go, I, I like listening to long form things. No one has that kind of time. I go, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to keep doing it this way. So, and, and, uh, and so no, stick to your gut. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. His, his are like two and a half hours long now. That's great. <laughs> you won. But you wouldn't like say, I, I mentioned to you this before, and this is going to happen. It's actually made a lot of progress towards it. I'm going to talk to Putin, but you wouldn't travel to Putin if you want to talk to you. Putin is a dangerous character. He's not. He's not. Have you ever talked to? Have you seen the uh, thing with uh, Jerry Kraft where they stole his Super Bowl ring? Yeah, yeah. Those. I think that was a, a little bit of misunderstanding. Person. Oh, really? <laughs> I think it's a little bit. He just decided he's going to steal that Super Bowl ring. Kind of. I think it was a kind he, of. He thought. God, he, can I see your ring? He shows him his ring, and then he puts it on. And says, "I yeah. can murder somebody with this ring." So he, and then he walks off with it. It's possible he did it uh, as a. He's a big believer in displays of power. Yeah. So like it's possible he did that, but on uh, I think he sees himself as like uh, a, a tool with which to demonstrate that Russia still belongs on the stage of the big players, uh, mm. and so he the, a lot of the actions is selected through that uh, lens. But in terms of a human being, outside of any of the evils that uh, he may or may not have done, he is a really thoughtful, intelligent fun human being like the wit uh and the depth from the jre perspective is really interesting i'm like his manager now selling <laughs> the he's a judo trying guy. To get Trump. he's really good at judo he's, I, I have seen him practice judo he's, and, he's a legit black belt and not only that he loves it not just skill wise but to talk about it to reason about it to think about it to mma as well so mm. you know it, it'd be uh it'd be a good conversation but you wouldn't travel to him <laughs> well that's hold to your principle so that's the core of the advice just I hold don't, to whatever I would rather <clears throat> here's the thing there's not a person that I have to have on the show right and I would, I'm happy to talk to anybody I'm just as happy to talk to you as I am to talk to Trump as I am to probably more happy to talk to you as I am to talk to Mike Tyson as I am to talk to Joey Diaz I like talking to people I enjoy doing podcasts. I enjoy talking to a variety of people and I schedule them based on, I want to like, I, I try not to get too many right-wing people in a row or too many yeah. progressive people in a row. I don't want to get repetitive. I try not to get too many fighters in a row. I try to balance it out. Not too many comedians. Comedians are the one, <clears throat> one group where I can have three, four in a row, five in a row, because that's my tribe. You know, those are my people. It's easy. We can talk about anything. It's a weird dance, you know. The, the, the conversations that you're doing on a podcast are are they're they're a strange dance, and you want to, you know, 
you want to not step on your own feet and you want to make sure that you do it in a way, do the podcast in a way that's entertaining for people. And it's, it's a conversations are learning how to talk to me. It's a weird skill. Yeah. It's a weird skill that took a long time for me to get good at. And I didn't know it was a skill until I started doing it. And then I, I, I just thought you're just talking. Like, oh, I, just, I know how to talk. We'll just talk to people. And then along the way, I realized like, oh, and then when you talk to people that are bad at it, you realize that it's a skill. Like particularly, one of the things about my people, about comedians, is a lot of them tend to want to talk, but don't want to listen. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're waiting for you to stop talking so they can talk, but they're not necessarily thinking about what you're saying. You know, and they're just they're just waiting for their opportunity, or they talk over you, or they. And I try real hard not to do that, and sometimes I fail. But my, when I'm at my best, I'm I'm dancing. Yeah, ultimately the skill conversation is just really listening, mm -hmm. like really and listening and thinking, listening and oh, thinking, and being like said. genuinely curious yeah. and and really having, um, uh, you know, a, a take on what they're saying and 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 a. And a, maybe a follow-up question, or maybe you know, just got it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And when it is authentic and it's real, it, it resonates with people. Like they're listening and they go, "Oh, like I'm locked in with the way you're thinking. Like you two guys are in a conversation, and I'm locked in. You know, when she talks and you listen, I've, I'm listening too. You know, when he says something to her, or when she says something to to him, like the, there, there's a thing that happens during conversations where." You're there, like you're listening to, a, I, I, and it's with me, when I listen to a good podcast, I feel like I'm in the room. I feel like I'm in the room and I'm like, like I'm, I'm like the friend that got to sit down and listen. Like, oh yeah, that's a great conversation. Yeah. You know, I love yep. conversations. So I, I love listening to them and I love putting them together. And the fact that this podcast has gotten so fucking big, it, it, it's stunning to me. It blows me away. No, I never anticipated it. Never thought for a second that that stupid thing that I used to do in my couch, in my uh, my office, was the biggest thing I've ever done in my life, by far. Like, people used to make fun of it. Like, there's a Comedy Store documentary that's coming out, <clears throat> and one of the parts of the documentary is my friend Tom Segura, when he first started doing my podcast, he would uh, he would be leaving, and he would talk to Red Band. He's like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. Like, why is he doing this? Like, yeah. wh who's listening? He's like, oh, some people like it. Yeah. And he's like, fucking nonsense, waste of time. And like in the, the documentary, it shows like 2,000 views, like one of the early Ustream episodes. That's hilarious. And they don't just like it, really. They uh, they form a friendship with you. It's like uh, even me, when people come up to me, like the love in their eyes is kind of beautiful. It's like, weird, right? Yeah. It's like- uh, You're part of their life. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it's, all, it's also heartbreaking because- you realize you'll never really get to know them back, like, because they they clearly are friends with you. Yes, yeah. And it's sad to see a person who's clearly brilliant and interesting and is friends with you, <laughs> but you don't get a chance to return that love. And uh, I mean, my kids. It took them a while to figure out what's going on, but uh, people come up to me. And, uh, uh, you know, they would say something like, hey, man, I fucking love you. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, brother, nice to meet you. My daughter was like six. She'd be like, do you know him? Yeah. I'd be like, no, I don't know him. She's like, how does he know you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it this very weird conversation I used to have with young kids when I'd explain, I'd do this thing called a podcast and millions of people listen. So now one of my daughters is 12. 
and one of her friends is 13 and he's a boy and he goes to school with her and he's obsessed with me. And so she's weirded out and she says to him, I don't even think you like me. I think you're just into my dad, you <laughs> fucking weirdo. <laughs> she's going to have that conversation a few stages in her life. Oh, like that, that hard conversation with a boyfriend. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That, well, that's the thing about men too. This, this podcast, um, is uh my podcast is uniquely masculine i'm a man and i'm I'm not i i'm also a man that doesn't have to go through some sort of a corporate filter i'm not going through executive producers who tell me don't don't have this guest on don't talk about that you know that we, we looked at focus groups and they don't right. they don't seem to like when you do this like there's none of that i just and i i i, I just do it so yeah. if that's so i have a whole podcast where i just talk about cars yeah and people are like, I don't want to hear you talk about cars. Well, good. Congratulations. <laughs> you found what you like. Here's good news. There's 1,500 other ones. Go listen to the other episodes where I don't talk about cars. You know, you don't have to listen. <laughs> and it's not like your brand. You just no. are who you are, and that's what you do. But yeah. it's like, it's authentically what I'm interested in. All the podcasts, whether I'm talking to David Fravor about his experience with UFOs, whether I'm talking to uh, David Sinclair about life extension, whether I'm talking to you about artificial intelligence or what, it's because I want to talk to these people. Yeah. And that that resonates. I, I like when people are into shit. You know, I've talked about this before, like things that I have no interest in making furniture, but I like this PBS show where this guy makes furniture yeah. by hand. Yeah. I love watching Craftsman. it. Because he's so into it. Yeah. He's sanding this and polishing that. I'm not going to do that. I don't give a fuck about furniture. Furniture for me is function, like this desk. Yeah. Function, it works. But I love when people are into it. Yeah. You know, and I'm happy that someone can make it and they do a great job, but I'm not, I'm not interested in the, the task is or the even the finished product as much as I'm interested in someone's passion for something. Yeah, the passion that they've put into this yeah. that that shines through. Last question. I sometimes ask this just for to uh what is it? To challenge to make people roll their eyes, to make legitimate <laughs> scientists roll their eyes. Ask uh, <clears throat> uh what is the meaning of life? Mm. According to Joe Rogan. I do not think there is a meaning. I think there's many, many meanings of life. I think there's a way to navigate life that's enjoyable. I think it requires many things. It requires, first of all, it requires love. You have to have loved ones. You have to have family. You have to have friends. You have to have people that care about you, and you have to care about them. I think that is primary. Then it also requires interests. There has to be things that stimulate you. Now, it could be just a subsistence lifestyle. There's many people that believe and practice this uh, lifestyle of just living off the land and hunting and fishing and living in the woods, and they seem incredibly happy. Yeah. And there's there's something to be said for that. That is an interest, right? There's something, and there's a, a there's a, a direct connection between their actions and their sustenance. They, they get their food that way. They're connected to nature, and, they, and it's very satisfying for them. If you don't have that, uh, I think you need something that is interesting to you, pa something that you're passionate about. And there's far too many people that get sucked into living a life where you're just doing a job. You're just showing up and putting in your time and then going home. But you don't have a passion for what you're doing. And I think that is, that's the recipe for a boring and very unfulfilling life. You mentioned love. If we could just yeah. backtrack, what... Uh... 
we, we talked about the demons and the violence in there somewhere. What's the role of love in this, in your own life? It's very important, man. And it, it, that's one of the reasons why I'm so, uh, I'm so interested in helping people. I, I'm very interested in people feeling good. I like them to feel good. I want to help them. I like I like doing things that make them feel like, oh, you care about me. Like, yeah, yeah I care about you. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Like, I want people to feel good. I want my family to feel good. I want my friends to feel good. I want guests to feel good about the podcast experience. You know, I I am uh, I'm a big believer in as much as I can to spread positive energy and joy and happiness and and relay all the good advice that I've ever gotten all. The things that I've learned, and if they can benefit people, then I find that those things benefit people, and that actually improve the quality of their life, or improve their success, or improve their relationships. Or I'm very happy to do that. That that means a lot to me. the The way we interact with each other is, is so important. It's one of the reasons why, like, when someone gets canceled or you get publicly shamed, it's so devastating because there's all these people that negative, yeah. all this negative energy coming your way and you feel it as much as you like to pretend that you, you're immune to that kind of stuff. And some people do like to pretend that you feel it. There's a, there's a tangible force when people are upset at you. And that's the same with loved ones or family or anytime someone's upset at you, whether it's you a giant it. group of people or there's a small amount of people, that has an impact on you and your psyche and your physical being. So the more you can spread love and the more love comes back to you, you also create this butterfly effect, right? Because Where other people start recognizing like, oh, you know, when he's nice to me, I feel better and then I'm going to be nicer to people. And when I'm nicer to people, they feel better and I feel better and it, and it spreads outward. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I've done through this podcast, I think, is I've I've imparted my personal philosophy on uh, in, in kindness and generosity to other people. And yeah, I mean, to correct you, you didn't do it. The ideas that are breeding themselves through your brain have yes, figured out. <laughs> the ideas that are alive in the air that <laughs> made their way into my head. Love Love is a more efficient mechanism of spreading ideas they figured out. Yes. <laughs> Probably, man. Probably. Um, so as far as like uh, the meaning of life, that's that's a bit – without that, you have nothing. You know, one of the big, biggest failures in life is to be extremely successful financially, but everybody hates you. Everybody hates you, and you're just miserable and alone and angry and depressed and sad. You know, when you you hear about rich, famous people that commit suicide, like, wow, you missed the mark. You got some parts right, but you put too many eggs in one basket. You put too many eggs in the financial basket or the success basket or the accomplishment basket, and not enough in the friendship and love basket. And there's a balance to that. And uh, when I talked about the violence and all, all that stuff, like that to me is me uh, understanding, recognizing that is me trying to achieve that balance. It's to like go kill those demons so that this boat is level, you know, because if it's not, then the boat is like this and then everything's all fucked up. And every time we hit a wave, things fall apart. Balance that boat out, figure it out, like know who you are. Some people don't have that problem at all. Some people, they could just go for walks and they're cool as a cucumber. Mm -hmm. I need more. You know, I need kettlebells. I need a heavy bag. I need uh, I need the echo bike, you know, the air assault bike. I need some hardcore shit. And if I don't get that, I don't feel good. So I figured that out too. And that makes me a nicer person. And that makes my interactions nicer. It makes it, it, it changes the quality of my my friendships and my relationships with people. I think uh, 
we mentioned Neuralink. I can I can certainly uh, guarantee that this is one of the memories I'll be replaying 20, 30 years from now once we get the feature ready. Joe, it's a huge honor to talk to you. I hope it's an honor to talk to you too, keep man. Doing I, I, I'm a glad you came down here for this. The first week of <laughs> this me doing this here and it's uh it's it's very cool to have you always. I hope you make uh Texas cool again and uh <laughs> And and uh, do your podcast another 10, 11, whatever, however many years you could, you're still on this earth. All so, right. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Appreciate man. you, man. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Joe Rogan. A thank you to our sponsors, Neuro, Sleep, and Dollar Shave Club. Check them out in the description to get a discount and to support this podcast. If you enjoy this thing, subscribe on YouTube, review it with five stars on Apple Podcast, follow on Spotify, support on Patreon, or connect with me on Twitter, Alex Friedman. And now, let me leave you with some words of wisdom from Joe Rogan. The universe rewards calculated risk and passion. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.